0: Good morning. I'll be reading from 1 John chapter 2 verses 28 through chapter 3 verses 1 through 3. And now little children abide in him so that when he appears we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. See what kind of love The Father has given to us that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved are we, are God's children now, and what will be and has not appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure.
1: It's called splatter ball. Everybody say splatter ball. And as excited as you think Kyle is to be here today, uh, make no mistakes, every kid that goes to camp gets excited about playing splatter ball. It is so much fun. We laugh. We do all kinds of things. If you're familiar a little bit with dodgeball, it's the same kind of thing except it's these little wet foam. So in the middle of the day, in the middle of July, you're throwing these, these, they're not water balloons, they don't break, but they're foam balls and you fill them up with water and throw them at each other and, uh, and just have a great time. I can't hit the side of a barn, so make no mistakes, I'm not very good at it, but it's all fun and games until, until we get to the last day of camp. And on the last day of camp, splatter ball is no longer just splatter ball. See, at, uh, at uh, Camp Bandina, we have this very civilized staff-camper softball game, and they all stand there very nicely, and they all shake each other's hands when it's over, and they act like they are just very courteous to each other. At this camp, we play staff versus seniors and grads or however many people they want to drag along. I can guarantee you, Callan, if you were there, no matter what age you were with your arm, you would be on the camper team. But it's staffers, campers, and it's no longer fun anymore. This this is is a life and death struggle, okay? Because, uh, and, and, and it's kind of funny. You get out there as staff folks, and, and let's just be sure and say, there are people from staff that do this, and then they're, you know... You have you have the ladies in the kitchen, and and they have zero interest in being on the staff team. So what usually happens is the staff kind of rolls out there to play, and there is this entire panoply of of uh, of, of campers on the other side. You know the the, the Spartans and their three hundred versus the the hundred thousand men of the Persians is nothing compared to what this is. And 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 long ago. When I was the camp director, I, I, would, I would join the circle. We're, we're, you know, we're doing our, our get ready to go kind of thing like that. And, and, and I, I would step in the circle. And this is the great motivational speech. And this was always my great motivational speech. Ladies and gentlemen, today, today is a good day to die. <laughs> just so you know, it's really serious. Now, part of that is just for me because the number one thing you do to win the splatter ball contest is to get all of the balls on your side, okay? So I would go out. By the way, am I a target or am I a target? And I'm an easy-to-hit target. And so I would run up there to the front line, and every one of those campers, you know, it's, it's kind of funny. They never learned. Year after year, they never learned. They threw everyone they had at the camp director. And then suddenly, the staff had their way yes so i didn't usually survive survive the first volley but but uh, it was still a great and powerful moment we uh we look at memorial today and it's very serious about men and women going to battle we'll come to veterans day in the middle of the year and we will be very serious about men and women going to battle They decide to do whatever it takes to win the victory. And for the most part, none of them are fighting because they're just trying to take care of themselves. Make no mistakes, you're avoiding bullets when you're in battle. But they are fighting for something much bigger than that. I'd like to take a look at three passages this morning that tie us into... Uh, One of the Promises of Heaven. This is another in the series of Promises of Heaven. And we're going to start in the one that's probably most familiar to you. We'll be reading from Matthew chapter 16. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? He's already asked them who the crowd thinks I am. What do people say I am? But he says now, but who do you? And he's talking through the disciples, the twelve who've gone away with him. And Simon Peter answered, You are the Christ, the Messiah. And make no mistakes, when Peter said Messiah, he tied that together with victory. One who could win the victory. You are the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered, you are blessed, Simon, son of Jonah, because... Flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, Petros, you are rock. In Hebrew, it's Cephas, if you see it translated that way in your text. And on the rock of your confession, I will build my church. And then this last line. And the gates, and if we want to make it nice and proper, Haiti, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Make no mistakes, these are words of battle. You don't knock on the gate of hell and hope that it falls down. You storm the gates of hell and death and sin to win the victory. Somebody say. Peter a little later, and I think it's interesting that it's in first Peter. Peter, the same Peter that made this confession, and the same Peter that that maybe Jesus was, although he was talking to the twelve, and and in reality he's talking to all of us, he was also in a certain way talking to Peter. And in one of the most obscure passages, just kind of tucked in to 1 Peter chapter 3, it says this, For Christ also suffered for sins once for all. Somebody say amen. Because the once for all is you and me. Righteous, from the unrighteous, righteous for the unrighteous in order to bring you to God. He was put to death in the flesh but made alive in the spirit. And then this funny little statement. In which he also went and made proclamation to the spirits in prison. I do not want to call this the unequivocal a uh, final word on what this verse means. But I can at least connect it to what Peter said and what Jesus said in that confession. And said he had in his death on the cross and in his resurrection defeated sin and death. He had stormed the gates of hell. And it is the spirits in prison in hell. That because he stormed the gates and they could not stand against him. That he was able to preach even to those. Somebody say Amen. And then one final picture, the opening of John's revelation. Chapter 1, starting with verse 10. On the Lord's day, I was in the Spirit, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet, which said, Write on a scroll what you see. Skipping down a little. I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet and a golden sash around his chest. The hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow. And his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace. And his voice was like the sound of rushing waters." Does that sound like a conquering hero or what? I'm ready to go to a battle. I'm ready to play splattered ball against the entire camp of campers. I'm ready to go to battle in this life right here and right now with a guy like that. In his right hand, he held seven stars and coming out of his mouth with a sharp double-edged sword, his face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead. And now look, I am alive forever and ever. And then you see him kind of maybe reach under that sash. And he lifts him up. And he says, And I hold The keys of death and hell and Hades in my hands. Somebody say amen. The picture is of a contest. The picture is of a a victorious combatant lifting the trophy above his head. I sort of like the way that boxing has one trophy... And if you win the fight against the reigning champion, and by the way, I realize none of you even know what boxing is anymore. And I really don't know if MMA does this. I don't want to know. Sorry about that. If that disappoints you, that's okay. But you go to the other person's corner and you get the belt because you have defeated them and you raise it above your head. There's a football game up uh, in Michigan or it's in Wisconsin and they fight for the golden axe. They, they, they play a football game for the golden axe. And they, when the game is over, whoever wins that game between the University of Michigan and the University of Michigan, they go run and they hold this axe up because they've won. They, for that moment, are superior. This is so much more. In military battles, there are seldom, if ever, moments where the winners take a flag, as it were, and hold it up or dispose of it, their enemy's flag. But you see it in the movies all the time, that victorious soldier raising his flag above the others. And for Jesus... In this scene with John, watching and telling us, imagining, trying to give us give words to the imagination of Im- unimaginable things, he sees a victorious warrior who holds up the keys of death, the keys of hell itself, because Satan is no longer in charge of hell and death. Somebody say, amen. Christopher read... From 1 John. Powerful statement. We are children of God, and what we will be is not really fully known yet. It's incomprehensible, first of all, because it's too wonderful. But it says that we will be like him and we will see him as he is. And if we're going to be like him, and if we come through the waters of baptism, replicating that death burial and resurrection as jesus did we recognize that if we are like him we join him in victory not that we have the power in and of ourselves to be victorious but that we are victorious through jesus christ and we can think about that being a victory that lies off in the future somewhere we can think about that as a hope i hope someday to get there but that is not what jesus wants to tell us about. That is not what John, the writer, wants to tell us about. He wants to tell us that we participate in that victory even today. You say, you know, there are times, and by the way, the last couple of weeks have just been filled with difficult things. Untimely deaths. Babies dying in the womb. Men And women hurting each other. For the most part over offenses that they did not commit. And yet Jesus says, I have won and I will win. And I invite you to be victorious with me. One of the promises of heaven is that we will be with a victorious Jesus. That we will be... Victorious, like Jesus has been victorious. And we will see him in the reality of the fullness of who he is. But we may ask, what does this victorious Jesus look like? You're going to be like me. You're going to see me as I am. Well, it's interesting how he is described. And I want to pick up the reading in Revelation in chapter 5, starting with verse 1. Then I saw in the right hand of the one who was seated on the throne, a scroll written on the front and back and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a powerful angel proclaiming in the voice, Who? Who is worthy to open the scroll and to break its seals? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or look into it. And so I began to weep bitterly because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And then one of the elders maybe touched me on the shoulder. And said to me, you know why he touched him on the shoulder? Because there's no COVID in heaven. He doesn't have to worry about it at all. Said to me, stop weeping. Look, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David... Has conquered, and thus can open the scroll and its seven seals. I am not here today to go into explanations about what those scrolls and seals and sevens all mean. But as soon as he proclaims the Lion of Judah, verse 6 says this, Then I saw standing in the middle of the throne and of the four living creatures and in the middle of the elders a lamb A lamb that appeared to have been killed. You see, Jesus is the Lion King. If you were a child and watched that, or maybe recently you've gone back to the live action version, you recognize this this idea that the Lion is the King of beasts, and Jesus is the Lion of the tribe of Judah. And make no mistakes... The ruling powers, when John wrote both 1 John and Revelation, the Romans understood what it was to be a lion. They understood what it was to be a powerful, ferocious, roaring lion. Their chosen symbol was an eagle, but they knew how to be the king of beasts, the king of all men. But you see, while Jesus is described as the lion king... He is seen and his reality is in being the sacrificial lamb. But the mystery here, the mystery of what is revealed to John and his imagination writing to us in these words is that it isn't just that he is either a lion or a lamb but that the lion and the lamb are one in Jesus Christ. He comes together As the one who is victorious over all things. But his victory is not a victory because he picks up a sword. It's not a victory because he can throw a spear better than anybody else. It is not a victory that he wins because he has the biggest bomb or the best air force to deliver it. It is not a victory because he has tucked away in his back pocket an atomic bomb. It's not a victory because he has the political power to impose his will. It is a victory because he chooses to ultimately, fully, and completely submit himself to God. To become the lamb that would have been carried to Jerusalem. The lamb that would have been handed to a priest. And probably by the time the lamb is handed to the priest, he's bound. If you've ever... Read The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. C.S. Lewis has penned many, many powerful words. Very few of them are as heart-wrenching as his description on the page of when Aslan the Lion is tied and placed on the table and shaved. Jesus comes in full submission to God. And God says, here's the first one who's ever figured out what can really bring victory in my name. He is the lamb. He is the lion. He is the lamb. Revelations chapter 17, as the great war revealed to John that he imagines as Revelation comes to its final battle and... I know that those of you who are real readers of revolution might argue with me. No, I don't think that the thousand years and the last throwing of Satan in there is a battle. That's already been won. There's won here in this passage. The ten horns you saw are ten kings who have not yet received a kingdom, but who for one hour will receive authority as kings along with the beast. They have one purpose and will give their power and their authority to the beast. And they will make war against the lamb. But the lamb will triumph over them. If I am a Roman, a centurion, or a legionnaire, or maybe I'm a commander... Or maybe I'm one of those people who stands along the boulevards and cheer the Roman army as they come home, leading their prisoners through. Look what the mighty victorious Romans can do. This is really, really bad news. Because it doesn't matter how many kings. And it doesn't matter how great the beast that is displayed against the Lamb. The lamb will triumph over him because he is lord of lords and king of kings. And with him will be called his chosen and faithful followers. That's me and that's you. Randy Harris is a, well he's now a former professor at ACU. He's decided to retire this year. This is a sad thing if you're an ACU fan. But he sums up the message in Revelation in three simple statements. Say them with me. Ready? God's team wins. Second, choose your team. Third, don't be stupid. I like that. Who's gonna win? Who's gonna win? The Lamb will be victorious. I can promise you, as much as a lamb seemed like no competition for the Roman power and authority of the day that John lived in, you may feel like the church has no ability to make any impact on our society. You may think that the church and those who follow Jesus, is Jesus enough? Can he really win the day? And by the way, if you want to pick up Jesus and try to fight The way Putin fights, or the way Trump fights, or the way Pelosi fights, or the way, I don't even know what the name of guy in China is, fights, then no, it won't work, because it's a different way of doing battle, and it's a different way of being victorious, but we get to choose to be victorious, because we choose Jesus. Callan, thanks for being the best illustration one could give today. Thank you for choosing Jesus. If one of the promises of heaven is that we will be victorious with Jesus, that has implications on how we live right here and right now. First of all, and I think I've already kind of emphasized this in some of the ways that I've talked, does my approach to power and influence look like Jesus? Does my approach to power and influence look like Jesus? The only time that we have recorded in the text that Jesus kind of takes up a a physical defense is when he storms the temple and drives out the tax collectors. You know what's interesting? Is most of the time in that day and time, if you wrote a chronicle of a great victory... And by the way, Jesus was victorious in running out the money changers. One of the things you talked about is how many prisoners were taken and how many were killed and all those kinds of things. You know what? There's no record like that. It's just that he's victorious. I like the way in which he tells the disciples, you think I'm too busy for children? Get out of the way. I like the way... That he speaks to a crowd of angry men who want to stone a woman who they've caught in adultery. And he doesn't pick up his own stones. He doesn't take a stick to beat them off or stone. That looks a lot different than the way the world talks about using power and influence. If we are to be victorious with Jesus in a way that it shows up in our living... We have to ask the question Does the who, how, and the why of my love for others look like Jesus's? We are really good at liking those people that can kind of make us look good. Don't I look good next to? I got married to one of those, right? I look good standing next to Sharon. Somebody say amen. But ultimately, our love is supposed to be about for the least. And for those who can't take up their own defense. For those whom society says, they're no good, let's just throw them away. And the how is always going to be about not making ourselves look good, but pointing to Jesus. Third Does the way I invest my resources, my time, my money, right now. You're not going to get to get to the gates of heaven. You're not going to get to the other side of the chasm of life and death. And say, ah, I've been saving all this time to give away to the poor, God. I've been saving all this time to give away to the poor. You can't do that. Right here. Right now. What are you doing with your time and money? And does it look like what Jesus would do with both of those things? Right now. One last question. Can you go a slightly different direction with me? Do these two people look happy together? That wasn't a rhetorical question. Do these two people look happy together? Okay. Now, the one that's on the left You may not recognize, but about 20 years ago, I had hair and was slim and almost good looking. The guy on the left is me. The sweet, sweet lady on the right is my grandmother, my mother's mother, uh, whom I'm named for. This is Maxine Allen. Uh, She died at 96. She died as the sun rose on a Sunday. And I love this picture. I I don't remember what it was, although I do know that tie was always the tie I wore for for Graduate Sunday. I always celebrated Graduate Sunday with that tie. So it may have been in May and maybe 1995, 1996. So, by the way, a really long time ago. But I loved sitting on that bench with her. And what I know, I remember the moment. Because we didn't go out on the bench to have our picture taken. We were just sitting and enjoying time together. It was lunch on a Sunday. And we got Jesus. Wants you to come and sit beside him. Jesus, this victorious lion king. Who is the lamb. This one who will vanquish sin and death and hell itself. The one who is mighty and strong enough. To beat down the gates of hell and to take the keys away from Satan says, Come, come to me, know me, be with me. Because what you'll experience is the gentleness, gentleness that you won't really experience anywhere else. We started with this scripture. Thank you. Christopher, for reading it so powerfully. We are children of God. Somebody say amen. And Jesus says, I am coming back to take you to be, and if I can say it, to be victorious with me. When we come to this table and we partake of this bread and this cup, It is a reminder of, yes, of what Jesus has done, but it is a reminder of His invitation. You are my children. You are God's children. And I want to be with you, and I will do whatever it takes for you to be with me.
0: Who breaks, Who breaks the, the, power, the power of, of sin in
2: darkness, and darkness? Whose love is mighty and so much stronger the king of glory, the king above all.
0: church let's pray for the bread dear lord we come before you today and we pray that during this time of chaos uh, despair brokenness and darkness that we see even more that you have overcome the world through the perfect gift of your son taking on our sin and brokenness that during this time of pain and division in our country that we find peace in your grace where we just thank you so much for allowing us to see this and experience this and um, just truly relish in this grace in jesus name we pray amen
1: Who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God.
0: Let's pray for the cup. Dear Lord, we come before you again to remember the blood that was spilled to cover our sin and to give us the opportunity to join you one day in heaven. We long for the day to join you and worship at your feet, but we ask that during our time here on earth that you allow us to see How each of us can best show to others this beautiful sacrifice that has been provided with immeasurable grace. We just, we love you, Lord, and we thank you so much for this gift, and we ask that you allow us to find ways to use it every single day and to share it with others every single day. In Jesus' name, we pray, Amen.
2: Oh, Lord.
1: been a great Sunday. Uh, Roger, I really appreciate you being here today to pray with us and Roger did a great job of kind of walking us back through our prayer requests that you'll find in the caring and sharing and I want to point you that direction. Um, As we kind of close out this time of our service, we've been mentioning special prayer requests and uh, I would like to ask, this is not uh, something I warned him about, but Kevin, do you mind coming up and joining me here? Appreciate it very much. so, we kind of helped raise this guy. Somebody say amen. amen. Come on over here. Yeah. Um, and um, he's gone off to college and do all kinds of good things. But what, what I've learned is that he is going to be the youth. And I thought it would be appropriate that you know that and that you join me in prayer for him and his summer and for the special things that are going to go on there. You mind if I put your hand on your shoulder? Okay. Our Father and our God, we want to thank you for the, the person that you have formed and are continuing to form in Kevin. I want to thank you for this opportunity, this door that you've opened. I want to thank you for all the challenges that lie before him in a very unique situation, very unique moment in history. And yet, your ministry will be done. Father, I want to pray for him and the way his life will be broken and given away into the lives of the of the, the youth group, but also of the whole church and the whole community up there in Clifton. I want to pray your special blessings on Drew as he, he works with Kevin and, and molds and shapes. Above all, Father, I want to pray for the way that he will be changed because you use him and the way that you're going to use him to change other lives. May he know that we're praying for him and holding him up and may that be a strength for him as i'm sure difficult and hard days are ahead we thank you for jesus and that he would choose to entrust his proclamation of the kingdom and his ministry of the kingdom to all of us and it's in jesus name that we pray and we all say amen did you hear it all who have this hope purify themselves This word purify is not usually the word that's used for the conversion from sin and death to life and baptism. The word purify is the process that we go through. Once sanctified by God, we become more and more of who He wants us to be. Purified, transformed, made holy. We're made holy by the hope. We're not made holy by an easy hope, but by a hope that Jesus was raised from the grave and that that resurrection can be ours today because death does not have the final word because sin does not have the final word and because we know who will have the final word if you want to participate in that victory there's very clear very clear teaching about how we move that direction and if you would like to more, know more about that invite you to contact us invite you to speak to somebody who's sitting next to you here today invite you to, to lift your life up to God and ask him what's next for me don't leave this place if you need to know the answer to that question we're going to sing a song it's an opportunity for if you want to come forward and you want to ask for that kind of help you can do it during the- I'm ready to make you the fulfillment of all that I hope for